one preacher whispering to another not to worry about the time is, uh, <laughs> good morning, Calvary Church. So good to be with you all. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, thank you, Brother Chris, and Chris was being humble. Uh, trust me, he was being very humble in, in the impact and influence and the level of encouragement he and his family have been to me my wife, and to the Bethany Church family, and uh, we're grateful for Calvary Church and the ministry you've done for so long. Uh, for time's sake, I'm going to bypass some of the usual introductory things and ask if you would just jump right in with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Um, titled this, Chosen to Make Him Known, 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to read verses 9 through 12. Beginning at verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the, among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And thus may the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Witnessing, witnessing for Christ Jesus is a top priority for genuine Christians. Witnessing is a top priority for genuine Christians. I want to focus your mind here in a bit on a word that we find only here in in the New Testament that describes the compelling work of the Holy Spirit in God's people to be faithful in witnessing. But uh, I'll tell you that word in a minute. But first, I want to I remind you as we come to, to this text, to 1 Peter 2, that these are, this is not just cute language here. Uh, those of you who are Bible students and, and so forth, 1 P- Peter, particularly chapter 2, is a, is a Bible student's delight. It's a scholar's delight. Uh, Peter, who we didn't, don't think knew uh, classic Greek that well, the, it's classic Greek writing here, perhaps his secretary wrote it, and the, the word pictures and the, the, the connection to the Old Testament is just marvelous. It's just, it's beautiful, and you can just get so uh, absorbed, rightfully so, in the wonder of God's word and how he draws from these Old Testament pictures and images uh, but, but, but I know I have to be careful when I study passages like this to not, not get too cute and, and too certainly heady. I mean that in a good way. We should be heady. But this is the language of hope. This is the language, and I don't mean the hope of a Hallmark card, sentimental from a friend who says, you know, I wish there was something I could do for you. I know what you're going through, and I wish there was more I could do, and I just want to express my concern and my genuine connection to you. 
Those cards are good and they're great, but we've all been there where we say, I wish it was more I could do. And you just, just let them know I love them. Just let them know I'm thinking of them. Just let them know I care. And it does offer some hope. But the hope of the language here is the supernatural lingo of someone who offers a supernatural courage. This is the language, if you will, of Moses at the Red Sea with the greatest army in the world at his back. And God says, take that rod, stretch it out. Watch me. Watch me work. I'll give you hope when you got a, you got a, you got a sea in front of you and an army behind you and a ragtag bunch of complainers that he's leading. The language of urgency we're looking at here. The language of, of war, you know, like, like this, this virus that some of us have no doubt used at time. Like, you, you, know, you got to do all you can to protect yourself. How dare you? you got to realize this is, we got a war against a virus, a pandemic going on. That's the language, as, as marvelous as the pictures are, that he connects us to the Old Testament, as wonderful as the, the, the classic Greek wording here. And I, and I find this important for myself on the road of, on the journey of evangelism, because the research, the studies, I think, uh, Joey touched on it a bit, is if we're going to have a sustaining influence, a sustaining backbone in evangelism, the, the, the studies and surveys, so the challenge is motivational. That's one, that's one of the top challenges, just staying motivated. And I get that. Motivation is a big factor to sustaining evangelism. And so this passage, these words here, these word pictures here that Peter, of all people, writes, remember the audience he's writing to, they're scattered. He starts off saying, scattered. In our language, maybe today, that's, that's kind of like a little bit of that feeling. Some of us feel that socially, they're socially distant from some of their homes, from where they would have been physically comfortable, from being able to participate in the holidays that make life meaningful to you. Like, like, like some of us this year, I mean, it was just so strange and weird for me not being here. I come from a large family. I'm one, I'm one of 10 children. And now I've got 40-something nieces and nephews and all those things. And God has allowed my mother to be almost 90 years old. And not being able to be together for Thanksgiving and Christmas, it just, it's just not made right. <laughs> I mean, it's just not right. But these folks at a whole nother level are scattered, socially distant from the things, homes and so forth. They're under persecution. They have every reason, if you will, from a human perspective. They have every reason to fear evangelism, doing evangelism. It can literally cost them their lives. It's already cost many of them their, the places that they lived and being disconnected from family members and so forth. And so we know fear is very real. When we think about evangelism. They have every reason to be discouraged from a human perspective, right? And evangelism can get discouraging. These folks that he's writing to have every reason, in a sense, to be discouraged because the political and social fabric is not favorable to evangelism, to being a Christian. Hello. 
Huh? Everybody's talking about it. It ain't, it's, it's, it, it ain't. America ain't what it was when Billy Graham was having his conferences and coming to Yankee Stadium and having a man limit. It ain't what it is. The, the political and social fabric and moral fabric has just changed so much. I mean, he's writing to folks. For those of us who, who, who are, are, are we're getting more of a diet from, from, from cable news than we are perhaps sometimes from the word of God and from the fellowship of the saints. You can be so discouraged by what's going on politically and socially. He's writing to folks who had every reason on one hand to be discouraged. I mean, the media was not friendly to them, the other folks. In fact, it was a much more unfriendly, perhaps. I mean, I mean they're, they're, they're perhaps being accused of being intolerant. I mean, we think the media is, you know, we got it going on here. They're accused of one of being intolerant of, of the emperor, bowing to the emperor, submitting to the emperor. Now, they weren't going to bow to him as Lord and so forth, but, you know, we know from Romans 13 and so forth, the Apostle Paul said, Christians, we should be the best citizens. But they're being falsely accused that a whole other. It's, it's, it's possible, uh, maybe likely, that Peter's writing after the great fire of Rome which the, the, uh, Nero would now have, now have accused the Christians of starting that fire and being responsible for it. And so people are livid. We know from, from uh, research and history that, that the Christians took a real beating. So the media is not friendly. I'm just, I'm just reminding us, folks, we think it's tough in our day. We think the media is not our... I mean, I watch sitcoms. I don't watch much TV, but I, I'm shocked. I look at a sitcom compared to when I was a sitcom, and I'm like, whoa. Well, I mean, it's like constantly every little subtle jab about the Bible or Christians and those who really believe this and anything we stand for. I'm like, whoa, my parents would have been flipping out when I was watching that 40, 50 years ago. Like subtle and not so subtle ways. They would perhaps, uh, you, you know, media not being friendly and the accusations. And you, some of you all know that, that, that the Christians would be accused of things like incest because they talked about being with brothers and sisters. In Christ, and you referred to your spouse. Uh, they, they, they were accused of drinking blood because people were hearing of their communion times and they don't understand we're drinking the blood of Christ. Um, all of these things. And yet when Peter writes here, take your eye to verse 4 with me, he says, as you come to him, talking about Christ Jesus. Remember, he's talking to folks who, who are, are scattered, who have experienced upheaval, Many, if not most of these people from their physical locations, from all the creature comforts. And so he stresses here, coming to Christ, that though you, you, you may be, you know, you, you remember, no cell phone, no text, you, 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 you don't, can't communicate quite the way, and you're in different areas, and you can't have the things that you're most used to. He says, remember, remember, as a Christian, no matter where you're at, Christ is with you, and you, you've come to him in salvation, and you are with him. And he begins now through the, the, the rest of this uh, section here, to stress union with Christ. No matter what our outer circumstance, no matter what the social condition, the political condition, the moral condition around us, as a born-again believer, you are united with Christ dynamically. Not just legally in the courtroom, where, where, where certainly justification means in the presence of God, we are justified, but dynamically, he's, in, he's, he's stressing in this text, in these word pictures. We are dynamically united to Christ and he's united to us. Though they are scattered. Remember, they have, uh, 
the Jews as well as the non-Jews would be, they're, they're wondering about this thing called the way, these Christians, because even the pagan religions then, they tended to have some type of temple, some type of priesthood. Certainly the Jews did, but many of the pagans were associated with a temple and priesthood and sacrifices. And now these believers, these people who are following Christ, there's no temple. There's, there's, there's no priesthood. There's no sacrifices. And so you can, and as much as we say, oh, we, we understand that in our day and age, for folks who that's all they've known in their worldview, certainly the Jews, but even the non-Christians, if you were often religious in some way, even, even the folks who, who believe in some of the Corinthian places like Corinth where uh, you had false religions, everything down to, to, to prostitutes and orgies as acts of worship to the false gods, there still was some type of place sacrifices, priest. And now for the believers, there's, there's the followers of Christ, there's none of that. And, and, and now you're being persecuted and all the things that are coming against you, you can feel how disoriented you can become. I'm just, I'm setting up myself here. I'm talking about me, how, how hard I feel it is at times to evangelize. You just feel so disoriented. Okay, where do you start? You say, you know, we, many of the young people who come through our, our, our program, uh, we've, we've been shocked. I've been shocked. We say Adam and Eve, you know, we're in Bible study, they play basketball, we go downstairs to do Bible study, we say Adam and Eve, and they don't know what you're talking about. And you say, okay, how do I do this then? Uh, Easter, right? No framework. I, and I'm not, I know when I grew up, I've many, many friends who didn't go to church, but they at least knew those things. And so, if we're going to be faithful in, in, in evangelism, we have to think about motivation. And what robs us of the motivation often is the fear, the discouragement. And so what Peter does here is I, I want to just quickly, short on time, I want to quickly run you through how strong the language is he brings here and how encouraging it is to bring us hope. And he, he, he stresses the word rejected, for instance, in these verses here from verse 4 down through verse 12. You've come to Christ. Remember, this isn't just cute language for anybody. These are people who he's calling, encouraging, uh, helping them to, to know that they are being compelled by the Holy Spirit within them if they would just, just have the faith to be faithful and sharing the good news of Christ. But you've got to prepare for rejection. And so how Peter does this is he does in verse 4, he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men. He points out Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the one we're united with. He says, get it down. He was rejected by men. He was rejected. You're being rejected. You're, you're, you're being challenged. You, you, we're not going to be faithful in evangelism if we're not willing to experience some rejection. And I can shake my head to that, and I can say amen to that. I grew up in churches where right now people be saying, hey, preacher, preacher. They be waving at you. Say it, preacher. Yeah, you got to be rejected. You gotta... But I'm going to tell you, man, and Monday through Saturday, that's hard for me. I do not like being rejected. He says, embrace it. And the people who were wondering what difference they could make with all the challenges they're going through, all the stress, verse 5, you also like, pointed out one, that Christ was rejected. That's who we're united with. Look at your Savior. Look at your Lord. The one who is your all in all. He was rejected for your redemption, for your salvation. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, 
I believe one of the ways he's encouraging them to that is he's talking about them being living stones. Not only is Christ the stone, we are living stones. And he's saying you're, you're, you're connected. I think this is important because you, one of the things they would be struggling with is what difference can they make? I know myself, right? We feel that way sometimes. What difference is my... Because evangelism takes patience, right? It takes stepping through our fear, but it often takes patience and courage. We want immediate fruit, and we just don't see that fruit immediately. And so you got to stay at it. you got to have patience. And so part of the trick of our flesh and the devil is we begin to think, what difference am I making? And certainly folks who are doing all they can to survive must wonder what difference they can make. And he says, listen, you've got to see, you're, you're, you're not just obscure. You see, as typical stone, you might think that's obscure and we're all just separated and certainly these folks being scattered and this stone over here and that's going to be. He says, listen, if, if you're a part of being united to Christ and his people and his kingdom, don't, don't, don't buy that, that your faithfulness, the introvert. I, I tell people, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm one of 10 children and um, people don't believe me, but you're going to remember my family. I tell people, my church, believe it or not, I'm the introvert of my family. And they go, you're the introvert? Your family? Yep, that tells you how screwed up my family is. I'm the introvert. I got brothers who got saved the next day. They're, in, they're hanging out in bars and witnessing to any and everybody. And I'm like, dude, I can't do that. But, but, but what about, look, we can feel, I, I don't, you know, maybe 10% of Christians, they say, have the gift of evangelism. So many of us can feel, this doesn't come natural for me. This isn't easy. But what difference does it make? You chip it away loving and trying to earn the right to, to be able to, to, to earn the trust of someone to say what you need to say about the good news of Christ. He's telling them, listen, you are living stones. Don't do, you're not what you do for Christ and no steps you take in earning the right to share Christ. And for some of us who are more extroverted, we could never gain access to the introvert at the way you can as an introvert. Don't think your obedience in the path of evangelism is obscure. Verse 6, Another phrase he uses here in verse 6, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. These are deliberate statements, not only because he wants to draw from beautiful language from the Old Testament, but he knows the shame that some of these folks will be struggling with. False accusations, their own sin and their own struggles, their own sense of unworthiness. Never put, put to shame. Verse 7 now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. He's driving home again. Remember, the stone the builders rejected. Our Savior, our Messiah was rejected. Have hope. Don't be surprised when the media doesn't support. Don't be surprised if the political system is not in your favor. Don't be surprised if the social fabric is falling apart and it doesn't hit. Don't be surprised if you start losing some friends. Verse 9, he tells us in verse 9 who we are through union with Christ and then what we do. And I want to I camp and finish. Let me, before I do, I want to tell you a story. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I'm, the, I'm the, not only the ninth of ten children, I'm the seventh of seven sons. So I had six older brothers. And, and uh, my dad loved baseball. And so most of us uh, played baseball at some point. I played baseball from the time I was seven to I don't know, 15 on Little League teams uh, twice, twice. I got hit dead smack in the nose with a baseball. And you never forget it. <laughs> and um, both times, I remember my nose, my, my, my uh, 
face swelled up, my eyes swelled up, I had to wear sunglasses. For, and both times when I went to see the, uh, I think I just went to see the school nurse, you know, I toughed it out overnight, my parents didn't, weren't sending me to the doctor until another night, went to see the school nurse the next day in school, and she, I remember both times the school nurse looking at me and saying, buddy, be thankful you were born with a flat nose. Because <laughs> <laughs> you would have broke it. Uh, but the interesting thing about both times I broke my nose, it was, the, the, the game was on the line, they were, we were in games and the game was on the line, um, and I was trying to make a catch, you know, to, to, to keep, keep the, you know, keep our team winning. But, uh, you know, I didn't have, both times, I didn't have much of a baseball glove. It wasn't very good baseball glove. In a family with six older brothers, my parents didn't have a lot of money. We didn't get new baseball gloves every year. In fact, we shared and borrowed each other's baseball glove. And me being at the bottom of that pecking order all the time, when it came time for me to run off to my game, I had to grab whatever glove was around, and oftentimes it either didn't fit or it was the one most worn. And uh, both of those times I got hit in the nose with the ball. Uh, people think it was my skill. I say it was the glove. <laughs> my lack of skill. That, you, know. <laughs> um, you know, but it's funny, you know, when you watch baseball, you, look at baseball, you often don't, you know, certainly as a kid, you know, you're not so much looking, you're looking at, you know, it's, you know it's before you leave, it's the, you want to look at yourself in the mirror, you want to make sure, you, you know, especially when you're a little kid, you want to make sure your uniform looks good. You know, you want to make sure the colors, you're proud. You know, oh, I want the right number when it's time to get your numbers from me. Oh, I want this number, I want that number, I want to be Pete Rose, I want to be this one. You know, it was all about that. And, uh, but I learned that a glove is critical. Critical. If we don't stay motivated and have a strategy, I want to tell you, we're playing baseball without a glove a strategy for evangelism, motivation in, in evangelism. And the word of God, particularly here as we look at verse 9, I want to tell you, the word of God here and throughout Scripture, it's like the word of God is hitting us right in the nose. But it doesn't have to hit us in the nose. If we're faithful to God's call and his empowerment to witnessing for him, let me tell you something. Witnessing evangelism, being faithful on our journey to, to engage the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ, folks, that is the glove of obedience and, and blessing, I would say, to the Christian, that we might catch both the power and the joy that the Lord means for us. He tells them here in verse 9 who we are and then what we do. He says in verse 9, take a look at it, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare, that you may declare, some of your Bibles may say, uh, proclaim, show forth. I think the old King James says, show, show forth, S-H-W-E-W, -E to show forth the praises. That's that word, is the only word, only time we find this word in the New Testament, in the Bible, and, and, and typically when you find a word that's only one time, that writer is very deliberate in how he uses it, and it's meant to sharp, to be sharp. It's meant to be that baseball to hit you in the nose if you don't have the glove. That word means to advertise, to publish. Stay with me. To tell out something otherwise that would not be known. It's a word that we can, it, it, it's, it's something that otherwise would not be known if we don't tell it. Therefore, it's worth interrupting people. It's worth interrupting your life, that you be faithful to it. It's worth interrupting that friendship, that person that you may, may barely know. It's worth interrupting with grace and kindness, 
But if we don't make it known, tell forth. Let me tell you something, folks. You get it? I'm moving to a close here. The world can proclaim moralism, folks. They can do that. They can profane, pro proclaim how to be moral, how to be good, how to be nice, how to be tolerant. Your neighbors, and, and I, we all have to admit it as Christians, I got non-Christian friends. My college mentor is still not a believer in Christ. But he and his wife, I'm looking at they're so nice. I mean, they raise their kids nice. They're the nicest people in the world in many ways. They're moral, but they've rejected Christ. They can't tell it. The world can, they can, they can proclaim moralism. They can proclaim patriotism. We got to be careful, man. Yes, we're called to be faithful citizens by Romans 13 and all, and we're called, I believe, to be good and politically engaged. But man, folks, if we don't do that, don't worry. Somebody's going to pro proclaim patriotism. That will be made known. You should be a good patriot. I don't care if they got to twist history and everything else. They're going to get people, you know, make sure you, 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 you consider patriot. Love country, even be willing to die for country. Somebody else can do that. They can, they can, they, the world can proclaim political righteousness, folks. They can proclaim that. And they will proclaim that. Whether it's on one side or the other, whichever brand of political righteousness you, you might aspire to. The world will do that. They'll find talk radio show ways to do it. They'll find cable and every other way to do it. They will proclaim it. Somebody else can do that. Don't lose our soul doing that. Only you vote for the right party, we can have Christian liberties. I mean, it could get so, 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 so merged in, you know what I'm saying? If we just vote for the right party and the right people, then we can have Christian liberties in this country. And that's kind of close enough to the, right? That's close enough, right? No, it's not. Fighting that we can just have Christian liberties. And I believe Christians should be engaged in that, so forth. But folks, somebody else can do that. What they cannot declare, folks, is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord, and he is the only hope, the only hope for eternal salvation, your eternal salvation and my eternal salvation. What Jesus offers, you can't earn it, you don't deserve it, and it is an insult to try to pay it back. You must surrender. You could pay it back, and God would not have had to send his son. And certainly not put him to a shameful death. Don't deserve it. Can't earn it. And so many think it's, you know, well, yeah, that's nice for you. Christianity is nice for you. But I'm paying my way to Jesus. I'm paying my way into heaven because I'm a good person and I'm nice and I'm tolerant of what you say. Just be tolerant of my view. Jesus is Lord. And God has entrusted that to us. 
And we must advertise. I know we think of a word as advertise because we live in America. We've heard the word advertise, and it's so mixed with, you know, just an image without substance. Yeah, I won't have time to preach to tie on verse 11 and 12 here, but he's obviously not talking about image without substance. Only we can put substance behind the wording. When he talks about lifestyles that match up. Leave it to the world, folks, to proclaim moralism. Be good moral citizens. Leave it to the world to sell their souls and die on the hill of patriotism. Be a good American, but don't die on that hill. Don't die on that hill of political righteousness. Spend our lives, spend our soul. Die on the hill of making sure people hear the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. He's Lord and he's the only hope. I'm going to turn over you. I think we, how do you? Yeah, I, I, I could go on, but I'm a. <laughs> Amen.